0: Hello and welcome to Carer Catalysts, a podcast that connects innovators for unpaid carers. I'm Suzanne, co-founder and head of carer support at Mobilize. I'm also caring for my husband, Matt, who has young onset
1: Parkinson's. And I'm James, CEO and co-founder of Mobilize. But perhaps more importantly, I'm son to my mum, who has MS.
0: And at Mobilize, we believe that with innovation, technology and a bold vision, we can help carers to thrive
1: and we're bringing the same energy to this podcast hearing from inspiring leaders in adult social care from across the country listening to their stories about making transformational change for unpaid carers
0: so sit back grab a cup of tea and join us for carer catalysts brought to you by mobilize
1: wow okay so back for another episode suzanne you've been uh, on the other side of the uh, the big fluffy microphone this time uh, who have you been talking to about innovation in carer support?
0: Oh, huge treat. I got to chat to Andrew Webster. He's a big friend of Mobilise. We, we love hanging, having him around and, he, and chatting to the team with him. Um, and he's got a great background in social care, health and local government. So awesome to talk to.
1: Yeah, brilliant. And what I love about this interview is so many practical examples of things, what we can do uh, to help make a difference. So let's roll the tape. Absolutely. Go.
0: So, Andrew, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Lovely to have you with us. Can you tell us a bit about your career in social care? What have been those real key roles along the way?
2: Well, I started off in a kind of analysis community work role. Um, So I was there kind of just sent out to try and make things better without any money. I described the job as the only rules you couldn't spend any money. The only tool you had was a notebook. Um, which I'm sort of back to now, except I'm in a digital version of that. Um, And uh, I think because I was pretty disruptive, I got promoted quite quickly. Um, So I went into my first really big role was managing resettlement from long-stay hospitals, um, which I did in Cambridge and in Edinburgh and in Glasgow. Um, I then ran a hospital uh, in Edinburgh for a while, which was a bit of a diversion. Then I went back into social care. My key roles, I guess, were I was director in Lambeth. Uh, Then I was director of families in Surrey. So I had a bigger set of responsibilities there. Uh, And then I was director of adult social care for three boroughs in London, for Kensington and Chelsea, Westminster, Hammersmith and Fulham. Um, And then I moved on from that into more national roles. So I was the lead for local government association on care and health and I did quite a bit of work for the government on policy and integration of health and social care. So, uh, and I'm now retired from all those formal jobs and I'm back being an advisor and disruptor, um, which is, is much more fun.
0: <laughs> we'll circle back to disruptor though. I imagine disruptor has been a common thing, a common theme throughout the- throughout Not necessarily the
2: welcome really in the check. director though. <laughs>
0: No. <laughs> Good for you though. So real breadth of experience there, depth of experience too. So when we talk about social care, we can't talk about social care without including our unpaid carers. Why would you say that unpaid carers are an important part of
2: social care? Well, for the, to kick off, they do nearly all the work. I mean, if they, if they weren't there looking after mm-hmm. people, uh, we'd be even more overwhelmed than we are now. Um, secondly, they do it mostly voluntarily and for free Um, and so it's an incredibly generous social commitment it's not just a transaction that a council undertakes it's a a transformative thing for them and for their families and the people they care for and the communities in which they live Um, and and thirdly they've got immense knowledge and expertise Um, it always staggers me that I spent my life sending people into assessments who were supposed to be the professional experts, when actually the carers and the mostly lowest-paid staff who actually did the care knew far more about what was needed and what would make a difference to those people's yeah. lives. Um, so, so I think they're a, they're a source of you know huge effort, huge compassion, huge inspiration, and knowledge.
0: Lovely, yeah. Well, we we share, share that opinion definitely. So really. Really great to hear that, and that, that's been threaded throughout your career. So how do we keep... that? You know, these carers are such a valuable part of social care. How do we keep them at the top of the agenda for, for everything we're doing with social care? Are there some practical or tangible things we can do to, to make a difference there?
2: Well, I think my experience, and I think Mobilizers addressing this, is that most people who are carers don't think they're carers. Um, my mm-hmm. mum spent the best part of 15 years caring almost on her own for my dad. And if you said to her she was a carer, she'd say, no, no, no I'm not. Um, and And so actually getting the idea of being a carer and the identity of being a carer and supporting that positively is a hugely important thing because otherwise people won't recognise it in themselves mm-hmm. and they won't do things to help themselves. I think the other thing that we can do... And which I did a lot of when I was in in care is actually analyse the impact that carers have on the health and social care system. So, for example, oh. uh, lots of people who end up in hospital for six to eight weeks because they've fallen over uh, fall over uh, at a weekend when the carer is busy doing something else, or at a time when the carer's is not very well and can't look after them as well as they might do otherwise. And, um, again, this happened with my own experience. My father was in and out of hospital, often for six or eight weeks at a time. The only benefit of that was it gave my mum a break. Uh, He came out worse than when he went in, usually. Um, It was a miserable time Mm -hmm. for everybody, but she did at least get a break from it. So if you reverse that equation and say, actually, those people who are carers are preventing a massive amount of work for the NHS and social care making lives much better for people who otherwise be much more vulnerable and being really Mm. tough about it they're saving a vast amount of money I mean, each of those hospital episodes is 20, 25, qu- pounds £25,000. Um, that's money that could, that could support somebody for a year at home. Um, and it's just blown on something that doesn't even make the person any better. So, so I think in, in terms of quality of life and in terms of efficiency and effectiveness, they're making a massive contribution and that should be, be recognised.
0: Yeah, definitely. So just bringing that data to the forefront and holding that sense of value an impact. Um, yeah, really important, really good one. And, and my sense is that there are lots of people and teams that focus particularly on carers, but really good, as you say, to keep them on the agenda at the broader level yeah. as well, not just the people who think about carers thinking about carers, just making sure it's included everywhere. So yeah, in that example of kind of how that hits the hospital situation, mm. really impactful. So when we're trying to drive things forward and create change, and, you know, the normal everyday life of social care is, you know, we're balancing urgent needs and, and in healthcare as well that need to be focused on can take a lot of energy. But keeping that forward momentum when there might be resistance from different directions, when you're in the thick of it doing that, how do you keep your energy up to keep that drive going forwards?
2: Well, in all the roles I had, in, town, I started out in a job where it was my job to go out and meet people who were doing this sort of thing. And I always found them very inspiring and very insightful. Um, mm-hmm. And where they were struggling, I always found their difficulties and their anger motivating. So, and I've kept I kept that through my entire whatever job I was doing. I always made sure I saw people who were carers or service users. You know, I had a sort of little thing in my diary: had I seen one this week? um because yeah. i think if you don't talk to the people that it matters to and hear from them directly uh you don't do as good a job and you lose that you lose energy particularly the more senior you are the more senior you are the more you only hear about things that go wrong and it gets incredibly depressing uh-huh. So to go out and find things that have gone right and talk to people who've got positive things to say or positive important messages to give you is vital. So number one, keep talking to the people who, who need the service, use the service, value the service. Uh, secondly, secondly, don't become a whinger. Uh, big organisations and local government and the NHS are no exception are full of people who've got ground down to the point that their main conversation is whinging about the way the organisation's run or the fact they haven't got enough money or nobody respects them or the office is rubbish or the IT doesn't work. All those things might be true, but you won't change them if you whinge about them. You you will change them if you engage positive energy uh, to try and do something about it. So, I think sustaining a conversation that is optimistic is a very important thing to do. And I think the thing that I did to do that was to find like minded people. Um, so, I was always in networks of people across councils, across organisations, across communities. I was often in voluntary roles where I came into contact with people who had something different to contribute. Um, and, I, and I think those things. It's different today because it's much easier to do online. But for a lot of my career, it was quite hard to do online. And so you had to make a really positive effort, of free time to go and meet people, talk to people, have a cup of coffee with them, find out what was working for them. And I think most successful change, in probably in all sectors, but particularly in the public services, comes from networks of people. Um, you do need money and you do need patronage. And you do need a bit of luck and you need persistence but if you haven't got a network of people um you're not going to get there on your own so i think that that's an absolutely critical thing to 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 do to sustain yourself and your energy
0: yeah fantastic yeah so there's those networks of people and you're kind of spending time with people who are you know at the sharp end of things are experiencing life and having different experiences so I guess being in that place, having that contact with people, there's ideas for innovation are popping up all the time. That inspirational yeah. sort of motivation is there and different opportunities arise. And, you know, we can't do everything, but these different things that come up, how do you choose what to focus on? When, when you're looking to innovate, are there particular hallmarks that, that are likely to lead to success so that we're focusing on the right things?
2: Um, I guess, yes, there are, though they're going to differ. From sector to sector, and I, I think the first is that you are solving somebody's problem. Um, if you're going to the top of an organization or to a group of politicians uh, wanting their support, blessing, patronage, money, um, if you go along and say, This is all a disaster, something must be done about it, they they might agree with you, but they probably won't want to hear you again very often. Um, Whereas if you go along and say there's this problem but this is how we could solve it um, they're likely to be very interested. Uh, And that could be as simple a problem as they've they've lost confidence in the people who currently deliver the service and they want some new people to come in. Or it could be as complicated a problem as there's a politically intractable dispute and the whole thing needs framed in a different way. So let me give you a little example of that from outside social care, because I did do some other roles in local government. So, one council I was working in, we had lots and lots of libraries that the public loved, but were absolutely hopeless. They were in buildings that were falling down. They couldn't couldn't get staff to work in them. Um, they were you know, they were just not fit for purpose in any way at all. If you ran proposal which said we must close these rubbish old libraries, Uh, the public would rebel in huge numbers, the councillors would back down straight away, you'd never get anywhere, and that had been going on for years. Mm -hmm. So we got the Youth Parliament and the Youth Council to make a secret customer video of every library, which demonstrated that they were all deeply unfriendly to young people and hopeless for people trying to learn. And that transformed the conversation because the councillors had got some clear evidence that here was the vital part of the community that the libraries were most meant to support. Kids on their way home from school so they could do their homework, they didn't have anywhere at home to do it. They wouldn't go in because the places were really unfriendly and the staff didn't like them. Change that narrative and, and suddenly you can talk about developing a decent library service rather than closing down the old one. And you can do that in lots of different spaces. You could do that about changing the nature of social care, changing the way carers are supported, changing the way foster carers are paid to do things. Uh, If you think about a lot of radical changes that have happened in care, it's because people have come up with a proposal which is, we could do this better if, um, rather than the Mm -hmm. stage before, which is, this is unacceptable because. Um, so I think I think that would that would yeah. be my touchstone. How, how can you reframe this issue in a way that makes it a win?
0: And I love that that those sort of videos from the young people was it's tangible evidence no one can argue with, but also really focus from a certain yeah. point very different, perhaps from maybe a set of data yeah. or something like that that we might also be looking at.
2: And I think you need both always. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, some some people can only deal with stories. I mean, the car- the caricature would mm-hmm. be. Uh, social workers need stories doctors need data um, that's true um, <laughs> uh, so get stories and get data um, because then you'll take both yeah. institutions with you
0: true true Lovely. yeah i like that yeah putting those two together it's not one or the other The yeah. two together yeah brilliant and so these innovations are popping up we're, we're getting on and, and things are happening but I guess the, the sense is, and maybe there's a challenge here, but the big organisations like um, local government, like um, you know, NHS and hospitals, but also it's complex systems as well mm-hmm. that we're working mm-hmm. in here, That it's not just one organisation. It's a complexity of systems. So it's not always straightforward to make something happen, to, to drive things through. If something proves successful, to go on to the next stage um, of kind of making it more kind of business as usual and things. What are the tips there? How do you navigate all those challenges in a, in a big organisation or a complex system?
2: I think it depends where you're located. Um, if you're a director, you can do that by, by reframing the conversation and giving people permission to challenge the system. Um, so, uh, I mean, at a simple level, uh, quite a lot of places in the past were characterised by a fairly deep, suspicion and rivalry between the council and the nhs um about you know, essentially about whose fault it was that the system wasn't working or who got the benefits if somebody fixed it um, and um yeah. so as a senior person you can change that by demonstrably having a different conversation with your peers and showing people that you're doing that Um, So I always went out of my way to be very supportive and friendly towards health service people in the patches I was working in because I knew that we needed to collaborate with them and any suggestion that I was about to become a tribal opponent of them would be deeply dysfunctional. If you're within those systems and you've not got senior people who are doing that, or more likely you've got people who are pretending they're doing that but actually aren't really then i don't think you shouldn't take on the whole system because you'll just bash your head against it and it will become totally dispiriting the thing is to take is to find a place where you can do something different and that could be a that could be a pilot that could be an experiment That could be um, a trial supported by an academic institution. Um, It it could be uh, a grant to um, a regeneration scheme that has got some care or carers elements built into it. Um, And then when you do that, make sure that you keep lots and lots of your peers really well informed about it. Because this... My, in my experience, public sector systems can can discourage the initial spark of innovation. But once it's going, it's quite hard to stamp it out because people will just spontaneously start doing things and suddenly, suddenly it becomes yeah. the norm. Um, I mean, I think the most striking example of that in my career has been individual budgets for people with long-term disabilities, I mean, that that started as a direct payments campaign by very angry and dissatisfied disabled people who said, you know, we could do so much better with this huge amount of money you spend if only you just gave it to us and let us get on with it. And a few enlightened councils did that. Um, most councils were deeply suspicious of it and had every possible objection lined up the people will waste the money, there are no proper controls, there'll be fraud, it'll be used for inappropriate things, there'll be going to football and porn sites blah, 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 blah. Um, now it's in the law that you that you must be offered one. Um, because yeah. it became the norm. Once people saw it working, and we didn't have it didn't that wasn't on the internet. That was people going and talking to conferences and writing papers and getting involved in campaigns but once once it once people saw that it worked it spread very quickly um so so i think i think it's about having that, that demonstrable evidence that it's working both stories and data which there clearly was there for individual budgets and you could do the same for carers benefits if you if you if you demonstrate yeah. that carers are making a greater contribution and feel better supported in this way then for all the scepticism yeah. there might be at the top of organisations, it will go through sideways because um, yeah. care, care staff, social care staff, professionals—you uh, know—are are, well motivated people, and when they see something that makes things better, by and large, they'll try. They'll try and adopt it and bring it into their practice if they can.
0: And it's really powerful, isn't it? The impact, the data, the stories—when things are working, yeah. you know—that's a much more exciting picture to be looking at. Because yeah we know that we know the reasons why not we know the reasons why we haven't done it so far and what the challenges yeah. are and focusing on that doesn't always get give us the breakthrough exactly so tell us what what other um other other great examples of innovation you've been involved in anything you'd like to highlight and and what made it successful
2: so I'm going to pick one from across health and social care that um is a, it's got some similarities um when I was working on transforming services for people with learning disabilities, uh, we had lots of people who were living in institutions and a huge amount of anxiety about how would they be able to survive outside institutions, uh, not least from their own carers um, who who had often um, struggled and been told that the best thing mm-hmm. for them was to live an institutional life. Um, and we found that conventional ways of involving those people in the decisions really didn't work because they weren't skilled at meetings, they couldn't write, uh, you know, well-argued papers, Um, they, Mm -hmm. they, they were intimidated by authority. And so we did a ridiculously simple thing, which is that we gave lots of people with learning disabilities, disposable cameras, and told them to go out and take pictures of what they thought their life would be like if it was better. And um, the the pictures they came back with were staggeringly straightforward. It was things like a front door, uh, a room with a bed that was made up for them, a bag of fish and chips, a pint of beer uh, a bus you yeah, know not nothing revolutionary but all things that they couldn't get <laughs> and we assembled this into a very simple kind of the strategy in pictures document um, which we did a very short run off because it was pictures and it was quite expensive <laughs> and and um, and and it went like hot cakes and uh, we had to keep reprinting it um, and and it worked because all the people, however, you know, however senior and clever they were, all the people who had had lots of well thought through anxieties about this just couldn't really argue with these amazingly simple pictures of ordinary life. Um, yeah. so, so I think, you know, that's, that's a, for me, that was a, a great innovation because it involved the people themselves using their expertise to say what the, what the change needed to be it was it was well within their capabilities and they did it incredibly well it changed the narrative very quickly and it enabled us to win the confidence of the people who needed to invest in making a big a big change um and and they did as a as a consequence of that i mean we this was in scotland and on the back of that strategy we secured a large chunk of the money that was available to help Move people out of institutions. Uh, so, so I, so I think that um, finding ways in which the people themselves can speak directly to the world and to power um, mm-hmm. is a is a is a is a very effective a very effective thing to do. Um, and you'll yeah. find examples of that in the mental health world a lot. Where people use art and creativity to express their contribution to society or horticulture or all kinds of other things. Yeah. Um, and you, you could find that with older people um, if we were better able to, to find ways of, of, of having a more kind of equal dialogue with people who've become frail yeah. in their old age.
0: And it strikes me that people probably really enjoyed getting involved in making that contribution. Absolutely,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, it was a much more interesting thing to do than going on your usual bus trip or out to the day centre, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you. And I wonder, there's lots of people listening. I'm really hopeful there are lots of people listening and they're thinking about innovation and maybe they're kind of earlier stages in their career and thinking about how then they can make a difference and, and make things happen and you've shared lots of things we're ready to draw on i think but any final top tips on how people can make stuff happen
2: i i think i'd, I'd offer one one more particular one which is, is if when you're engaged in a, in a, in a challenging job in the middle of an organisation i think it's the most difficult time because you've probably got people to manage so you've got to be looking downwards um you've probably got to keep a lot of support from your superiors so you've got to be looking out up- upwards as well you need to bring lots of peers and friends and colleagues along with you so you've got to be looking sideways i think it's easy to forget to look after yourself um mm-hmm. i think you know if you if you you know if you, if you can have a sort of rule if you got five days a week? You know, one one day looking down, one day looking up, one day looking sideways, one day to deal with stuff that just comes along because always things are going wrong. One day to look after yourself because if you don't mm-hmm. sustain your own knowledge, creativity, energy, then all those other things start to get more and more difficult. Um, and 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 as they get more difficult, you find it harder to free the time and you can get into a spiral that burns you out i've done that myself yeah. um and and i think if you can if you can just have a way of either checking in with yourself or having someone else that you check in with who can make sure that you're keeping things in balance and that you're not and you're not and you're not overcooking it uh, then you're much more likely to succeed
0: definitely lovely oh that avoiding that burnout and for those people to be able to continue yeah i think that's that's huge thank you Andrew, it's been a pleasure to chat and just thanks so much for giving us the time oh, I today. It. And I know those that are listening that are working hard to innovate from Paperas, they're really gonna value what you shared. So thanks so much for that. I feel it's a way of handing on the baton as well, um, for all the work that you've done that it will continue. It's brilliant. Thank you very much.
1: Wow, Suzanne, so much in there that I want to unpack. And and just the sort of the first uh thing that really comes to mind from what Andrew was saying. Is is that idea of changing the narrative, shifting uh, the perception, all the different ways that we can that we don't have to put up with the way things are, and change things. So just that that example he uses of how back in the day direct payments seemed like such a such a long way away from reality, and yet actually through a bit of persistence, lots of campaigning, but some some really kind of careful thinking from professionals around the country, direct payments are now the standard. And he also mentioned how exhausting it can get. What a fantastic way of uh, re-energizing ourselves when, by, by just thinking of the possibilities that that could mean for carers.
0: Yeah, I, I love that, just the start small somewhere, you know, get going on something and and dive in and just that inspiration that something quite small a small start of something could change to something that's nationwide and just changes the scene for people so that's huge and absolutely love it that it was it was born out of changing the narrative let's not just sit around and moan about all the problems and all the things and why we can't let's just try something and and see what emerges from that i love that bit what else do you like out of that
1: oh so much so just looking back at the um the top of the interview, uh, Andrew was talking about how we need to look at data and really see the impact of what carers are doing. And for me, this really resonates because um, policy, both at central government and local government, d- decisions are made around evidence, uh, particularly when we're asking politicians to take a risk on them. So uh, the more data we can have about what carers actually need and the the impact that carers have. I don't think it's always helpful to say, uh, you know, we're we're saving money by being carers and so on. But there is something really valuable about me looking after the person in my family who needs a bit of care, which I want to do anyway. So I'm not doing it because I'm saving the NHS money. But it does have that effect. So when I'm supported better, uh, we know that the system can really uh, benefit from that. The more data we can have on that, the more strong decisions we can expect to be made. And just another really interesting point, Suzanne, joining up some of the threads from the other conversations we've had uh, in this series. The first conversation we had with Sarah McClinton, she talked about meeting real people uh, who who are actually drawing on social care all the time. And interesting that Andrew mentioned that as well, keeping something in his diary uh, to check whether or not he's done that. And then also, uh, resonance with debbie's comment about debbie hustings uh about like-minded folk keeping people around you who think the same way who have the same positive energy and want to make things happen
0: Mm -hmm. definitely and drawing those two things that thing about data and impact and how powerful that was and that you know spending time with the right people and learning from them understanding people's challenges he brought it into the room didn't he with those videos That was a great example. And with the photos people have taken, just finding a way to bring those experiences into the room, not not secondhand through us. I thought that was really powerful as well. People, absolutely, people love data and people love stories. And I think finding new ways to kind of present that in a really, you can imagine it's powerful, it's succinct as well. People didn't have to read a big report or look through loads of things to get that. It just was right there in front of them. So that feels like it's it's quick and fast moving as well those sorts of things and people want to get involved in that kind of we talk about co-production but that's probably the sort of co-production people like to get involved in it sounds fun creative it's easy to do and might be a bit different to some approaches that we've seen as well yeah some great stuff there
1: such a great way of breaking out of uh the existing conversations and hearing from people that we don't don't hear from enough gosh a great bunch of practical suggestions Um, What an exciting moment. Uh, So really good to hear them from Andrew. It's been good to have everybody with us. Thank you very much, Suzanne. See you next time.
0: Thank you. See you next time.
1: Thanks for joining us with Carer Catalysts brought to you by Mobilize. Do subscribe to this podcast wherever you normally get them from and look forward to the next episode.